Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. One regional down, one more to go, baby, before LSU can punch its ticket and find itself back right where they belong in Omaha. But before the Tigers can get there, I want to take a quick look at the Baton Rouge Regional and the success they had in sweeping this regional this past weekend. So before we get started, as a quick reminder, you can find the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast on all the major audio platforms. Google, Spotify, Apple, and the like. You can also check me out on the YouTube page as well. And then once again, be sure to follow me on the Twitter account. The handle is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. So if you missed the last episode, I gave you a really good breakdown of LSU's regional opponents, Tulane, Sam Houston State, and Oregon State, and just kind of gave you an idea of what they would face this past weekend. And, and uh, lo and behold, some of it came true. I was wrong on some of it, as I usually am. But hey, look, I put myself out there. I take a chance and try to figure out what Jay Johnson's doing, but I'm definitely not always right in that regard. Those episodes can always be found on the YouTube channel and in all uh, in podcast form for all those episodes and on all the major audio platforms. So let's get into it. With these three wins, LSU now moves to 46-15 and 15 on the year. They will host Kentucky in the Super Regional Round next weekend. So game one, LSU defeats Tulane by a score of 7-2 on the back of Paul Skeen's and some very good early hitting in the game. I'm going to be 100% completely honest. I did not see one pitch of this game. I was traveling. Uh, I was actually in Tuscaloosa for a wedding. Stayed at the same hotel as Boston College, so I got a chance to see those guys and interact with some of them over the weekend. But unfortunately, just due to uh, life, I didn't see any of the Tulane game. I watched the highlights. I got the lowdown for some of my friends. But uh, it was Paul Skeen's day, and he does what he always does, right? But the hitters, LSU scored in five of the eight innings and really jumped on Dylan Carmouche early and often in that game. And Skeens, look, I'll be the first to admit it. I was wrong. I thought Jay Johnson should have thrown Thatcher Hurd, but he goes with Paul Skeens. He takes the sure victory. He takes any doubt of uh, that game being in jeopardy by throwing the best pitcher in the country. And I have no problem admitting I was wrong right there. Jay gets paid to make these decisions, and uh, he made the good one, right? Skeens, complete game, nine innings pitch, seven hits, two runs, two earned. Hats off to Brennan Lambert, former Catholic high product, and a kid I had the pleasure of coaching when he was very, uh, when he was young for one year, but he catches Skeens for a two-run home run. Uh, no walks for Skeens on the day to go along with 12 Ks. Very impressive on 124 pitches. And look, that's exactly what Jay Johnson and LSU wanted to do as he saves the bullpen. He doesn't allow anybody else to touch the ball or touch the mound. And uh, you got to love what Skeens did and getting the regional off to a good start for LSU. Uh, and in fact, Skeens made the all-tournament team for his performance, so no surprise there. But uh, not really a ton to say in terms of this game and the fact that LSU did what they were supposed to do. Look, Tulane, they were swinging the bat pretty well. They came in uh, with only 19 wins on the year, but they did a great job to advance to the AAC Conference Tournament and end up in Baton Rouge. But Cruz, Travinsky, Beloso, and Thompson led the way for the Tigers. Each of those guys had multiple hits, and that was actually a precursor of what was to come in games two and three for those four guys. And uh, it was really a theme on the weekend for those four. So Cruz, Travinsky, Beloso, and Thompson again. Look, LSU scored early. They scored often. Uh, Lombardi came on for Tulane and did a good job of holding LSU at bay. But in the end, it was really uh, with Skeens on the mound and going up against Tulane, you really didn't worry too much about that. You would just wonder when the LSU bats got it going as they put the green wave down. In terms of game two, 
LSU defeats Oregon State by a score of six to five. And we know in this regional format, <clears throat> excuse me, in this regional format, this is the most important game. You win game two, you got a chance to move into the winner's bracket, and somebody's got to beat you twice. And I saw a bunch of things that I was uh, really excited about. And actually, the rain uh, allowed me to get back from Tuscaloosa and watch every pitch of this game in Baton Rouge. And uh, the rain played a major factor in this. as Both teams had to deal with a long rain delay. And it really took Ty Floyd out of the picture. Floyd got the start. That was no surprise there. I thought he looked good early on, even though his pitch count climbed very early on. I think he threw roughly 70 pitches in his outing before he got pulled due to the rain delay. And he just had trouble finishing off hitters. But his stuff, overall, his stuff looked very good. You know, low to mid-90s, breaking ball for a strike. I thought he was throwing well, just kind of getting a little too fine when he got two strikes, trying to be too perfect. And that kind of made his pitch count rise early on. We saw uh, Bazana hit a solo shot off of Floyd. Then the rain hit. And after the rain, I personally thought Jay Johnson was going to go with Cooper and potentially save her to close that game out. And then if you win that game, you got Hurd going in game three. But once again, I am proven wrong as Jay Johnson goes to Thatcher Hurd. And Thatcher Hurd was amazing on the day. He was phenomenal. And you've really seen Thatcher Hurd grow in the last month of this season. And he's grown confident in his role at LSU. And he just feels comfortable in the uniform and in his skin. And you can see that just by his body language and how aggressive he is and how he attacks the zone now. He's finally starting to show some emotion out there. And I think this is who everybody thought he was going to be coming into the year. It just took a little while for him to get comfortable with everything. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later in the podcast. But he's really coming on strong in the perfect time of year for the Tigers. On the day, heard. So after the rain delay, Hurd comes out. He goes five innings pitched, seven hits, four runs, four earned, three walks, and 12 punch outs for that young man. He throws 99 pitches, and he was also named to the all-regional team for his performance as well. And then you saw the hitters. No home runs in game one. Well, they needed every home run that they hit in game two as actually LSU scores all their runs by way of the long ball. Cruz hits a two-run shot in the fourth to tie the game up. Travinsky and Beloso go back-to-back in the fifth. Pearson hits a solo home run in the sixth, and that gives LSU a 5-3 to lead. But Oregon State comes right back as they hit a monster two-run home run by Turley, the standout freshman. He had a phenomenal regional, and he crushes a ball over the batter's eye in center field to tie the game up 5-5 to off of Thatcher Hurd. But LSU grabs the lead right back with a monster home run by Braden Jobert just to the right of the center field wall. And then LSU kind of turns to their de facto closer, right? Hurd throws another inning. He throws very well. But in the ninth, you see Gavin Gidry come on, and he does what he's really done the majority of the year. There's been a few ups and downs, a few bumps in the road. But I really trust Gavin Gidry in that role, and he slams the door on Oregon State. Gidry case Turley to lead off the ninth with his massive, right? Turley's hot, but you always want to make sure you get that leadoff hitter out. Gidry does just that. He gives up a single, but then he gets a ground ball and a strikeout to close out the game. And it seems like Gidry really kind of thrives in that environment, right? He's played at Barb, which is a perennial top five program in the country, so he's used to the pressure of playing that program. And he's kind of gotten thrust into the spotlight here at LSU. And as a closer, there's a ton of adrenaline. And if you can harness that adrenaline in the right way, 
meaning you're throwing, you're aggressive in the zone. You're getting ahead of hitters. You know when to throw breaking balls uh, below the zone. And he's done a good job for the most part this year of doing that. And, uh, you know, he's got a little cockiness, got a little swagger, got a little dog to him. He talks some shit, but uh, that doesn't bother me. You know, I used to do the same thing when I pitched. So um, it's really been nice to see Gidry. I trust him with the ball in his hands in the ninth inning. And uh, he did what he had to do right there, and he closed the door and sealed the, the victory for LSU. In terms of game three, I was at the game today. And you've seen this from LSU teams in the past, but you felt like once the bats got going, the floodgates would open. And it took a little while to get going, and Oregon State didn't go down without a fight. But when push came to shove, LSU was just too much for Oregon State as they take game three, 13-7 over the Beavers. And after the game two win, I was wondering really just like everybody else, right? It was all over Twitter, you know, just um, who would Jay Johnson choose to start in the game three role? I heard a lot of people going with Coleman, but I personally, I wanted to see Cooper. And I realized the rain may play a factor, but luckily LSU uh, was able to get the the, uh, game done before the floodgates opened later in the afternoon. And this is why I wanted Raleigh Cooper. You've seen him extend out to five innings, okay? In terms of Coleman, uh, the longest he's really gone this year is like three, maybe three and a third. 65 pitches is about the most that he's thrown. And with Coleman, you see a fastball, but his velocity's really gone down a lot lately. So now he's in the upper 80s, right, 86 to 89. Every now and then he may pump a 92 in there, and he's fastball slider, okay? Cooper, I think, throws a little harder than Coleman does right now as he works his way back from the injury. But um, Cooper, fastball, slider. He has a curveball, but he really featured a very good changeup today, and that's just something I haven't seen from Coleman yet. So I thought Cooper has uh, more of a repertoire. I think he can go longer. And it is Jay Johnson has said in several interviews that he trusts Raleigh Cooper completely, right? Cooper followed him over from Arizona. Cooper's the only person to pitch in a College World Series game on this staff, and I thought that's one of the reasons why he would lean on Cooper today, and that's what he did with the big lefty. And I really thought he threw well. He gave LSU hitters a chance to get settled in the game, but he was matched pitch for pitch by Oregon State's starter, Rhett, Lar- uh, Rhett Larson, as he pumped uh, strikes into the zone early and often. And he was constantly 0-1, 2 on these LSU hitters, and uh, it was 0-0 early on. You know, it was just back and forth. It was a true pitcher stool. Cooper wiggled out of a couple of jams, and LSU just couldn't get anything going early on against Larson. But LSU gets it going. They score four in the fourth with the key play coming with two outs from Josh Pearson as he ropes a two-out triple. But the Beavs come back. Once again, it's Turley as he hits a two-run shot off of Cooper. And this kid can really hit, right? He's a phenomenal freshman. He was a 19th-round draft pick in the Major League Draft last year. Turned down money to go to Oregon State. He's got a really, really bright future ahead of him. And then you see um, Cooper, unfortunately, gets replaced there. The lead, the, the score is 4-2. to two. And his line on the day as Coop goes three and two-thirds, two hits, two runs, two earned, two walks, um, and four Ks on 71 pitches. So, look, in this situation, you just want somebody to get you off to a good start, and that's exactly what Coop did. Ackenhausen comes in. Um, he does a very good job as he replaces Cooper and throws well. Ackenhausen does give up a two-run home run after a leadoff walk, similar to what Cooper did. But Nate on the day goes one and two-thirds innings, two hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, and one K. I thought he threw very well and kept LSU, you know, kept the lead for LSU. In the fifth, you saw Travinsky once again, Travinsky and Beloso. 
those dudes go back to back as they like hitting together in the lineup. It's pretty obvious, right? They do it in game two. They do it once again. And then game three, Cruz hits a solo shot in the six as he absolutely crushed his ball off the uh, Tony Sashery side in left center. And then um, LSU kind of blows the game open from there with a five-run seventh inning. Dugas, hopefully this guy can get going because, boy, do they need him. Um, he finally hits a solo home run. Tommy White gets in on the action. He really struggled during the regionals, but he comes up with a huge two-run single. And then Travinsky drives in another run to kind of cap off the five-run seventh. It's really LSU kind of puts it to bed at that point. Um, after Ackenhausen leaves the game, you see LSU bringing their third left-handed pitcher of the game and freshman Griffin Herring. And I thought he probably threw the best out of Cooper and Ackenhausen. And I thought he uh, looked really good in relief, right? He kind of gives up a run, and then Gidry gives up a run uh, in the ninth. But really, at that point, it was all LSU. Um, Herring's line on the day, three innings pitched, three hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, and four strikeouts. And you saw him finally – he worked through a little bit of trouble in one inning. But he finally – when he relaxes – and he just focuses on executing one pitch, and he doesn't try to do too much with each pitch. Look, he's 90 to 93 with an absolute wipeout slider. And you've seen him, one, he's competitive, you can tell, because he gets mad at himself on the mound, and that's just a freshman thing, I think. He gets frustrated with himself. But when he relaxes and doesn't let the moment or the situation get to him, which is part of the growing pains, Herring is flat-out nasty, and I think he's going to have a really bright future here at LSU, and I'm sure he'll move into potentially a starter role next year for the Tigers. But uh, Herring gets pulled. Gidry comes in and closes out the game in the ninth with a strikeout to end the game in uh, true reliever fashion, and LSU advances. Look, the key to me for game three for the Tigers, LSU bangs out 19 hits, so the bats come alive. It was really nice to see, as you saw them hit one through nine in the order. As every starter had a hit, they blast four more home runs on the day. So not only besides the hitters was it key, but but check this out, right? So we know Oregon State had their top three could hit with anybody in the country, right? You had Bazana, then you had Forrester who played first, and you had McDowell who played um, outfield for those guys. In game one versus Oregon State, Bazana, Forrester, and McDowell go six for 13 with one home run and two runners left on base. So that was in the six to five LSU victory. But in today's game, which LSU won, those three hitters, Bazana, Forrester, and McDowell, those same guys who went six for 13 the previous day, they go one for 14 with seven runners left on base. That's how LSU won the game today. You hold those top three hitters to one for 14, you have a very, very good chance of beating Oregon State, who's a very good program, and that's exactly what LSU did today. So tip of the cap to Wes Johnson, and then tip of the cap to the LSU pitchers for a great game plan, but not only having the game plan, but the ability to execute pitchers against three of the best hitters in the country. So what are the three big things that I learned from the Baton Rouge Regional this weekend? One, I was sitting there at the game today, uh, sitting with my boy, Stephen Miller. He came and joined me and my son. LSU's lineup, if you look at it now, it's really veteran-led, okay? Earlier in the year, you saw a lot of freshmen playing. Right, you saw Jared Jones, Brady Neal, Paxton Kling, and then halfway through SEC play, you saw when well, Neal got hurt, and then Paxton Kling hurt his hamstring, and then Jones just went in a big slump. So 
uh, Jay Johnson made some changes. And those guys, those three guys that I just mentioned, 100% deserve to play at that point in time in the year. But once Neil and Kling got hurt and then Jones started scuffling, credit to Jay Johnson for making the changes and inserting some veterans that were proven as of last year and had kind of a start and stop up to this point, right? When they came in the lineup, Beloso, Pearson, uh, Joe Bear was kind of in and out the lineup and you hadn't quite seen Travinsky yet, right? You didn't really see him until Neil got hurt. So credit to Jay Johnson and those veterans for coming in the lineup, really solidifying the lineup. And they're just pushing this team forward at this time of year. And that's exactly what you look for. Okay. Look, Kay Beloso, veteran, makes the all regional team. Beloso hit uh, he went five for 13 this weekend during the regional, which is good for 385. He had two home runs on the weekend. Josh Pearson, look, screw the stats with Josh Pearson. I don't care if he's hitting 240 or whatever my man's hitting right now. The dude can flat out play. And as me and my man Stephen Miller discussed at the game today, I, we think he's like he's like that glue guy to where LSU just plays better when he's in the lineup. And that happened when I was at LSU. It's, it was with all these kind of championship teams. You might have one person who doesn't hit as well as everybody else, but something about them just kind of lifts everybody up, and the team just plays better when Pearson's in the lineup. He's a very good outfielder. He can absolutely fly around the bases. He was moving on that triple today, and he's got pop. Okay, He can leave the yard. He hit eight home runs uh, last year, so we know he's got power, and he's shown it this year as well. And to me, when you leave him in the lineup and left, you put Joe Bear and right. You can make some defensive changes late in the game if you want to get others in the outfield like a cling. But that allows Trey Morgan, who is absolutely phenomenal. We all know that. That is nothing new. He is phenomenal at first base, and he showed it today. He made some amazing plays today versus Oregon State in the clinching game for the Tigers. Something else is that uh, – these guys that I've just mentioned, kind of some of the vets, right, like Travinsky or Beloso or Pearson, they have picked it up lately while Dugas, Morgan, and White have really struggled. Now, they got some hits today, but the past couple of weeks, those three guys have really struggled. And you've seen kind of Cruz, he's really come back in the mix. as He had kind of a three-week, I wouldn't say slump because he's still hitting over 400. He just really wasn't himself, okay? Maybe he was pressing just a little bit, but Cruz – came on strong this weekend. He is fully back in the mix. He looks like he is locked in like he was the earlier part of the year, and he's so locked in that he was named the most outstanding player of the regional. So a hell of a way for Dylan Cruz to you know, cap off his LSU career, and I hope we all appreciate how amazing of a player that he is as the Tiger fans get one more chance to watch Cruz play this weekend during the Super Regionals. The second big thing that I learned this weekend – Thatcher Hurd is an absolute difference maker on the mound, and he could be the key for LSU to get to Omaha and go very far in the College World Series if they're lucky enough to make it that far. Look, he's got power stuff, right? He's got a mid-90s fastball, and he, shows he, he, he has shown that he can maintain his velocity throughout the game and throughout the outing. He has a very good curveball and a big-time slider. I think two weeks ago, uh, Ben McDonald may have said on the broadcast or Ronnie Rance that the spin rate on Thatcher Hurd's slider is top four in the entire country. Okay, so that sucker is coming in hard and fast. As I mentioned earlier, you can just see his body language change his last couple outings. He is much more confident. Even when he gets in trouble, you can tell he has a self-confidence to get out of it, to pitch his way out of it, or to make pitches to where the defense can make a play behind him. 
he feels much more aggressive to me, much more of an attack mindset when he's on the mound. Plus, Hurt is flexible, right? So he can start. He can get you over 100 pitches or up to 100 pitches, you know. That could be anywhere from five to potentially seven innings, depending if he's not striking out a ton of people. He can come in middle relief. So he can come in relief of like a Floyd or somebody else in, in the fifth and finish the game for you. And he has the flexibility to close games as well. If you need him to go an inning or to strike out somebody in the ninth, he has that ability to do that. And I think that could be big moving forward, especially when you look at a weekend series versus Kentucky. All you need to do is win two out of three and hopefully move on to Omaha to where you have a lot of days off, right? So you can use Hurd's flexibility to your advantage. I think Hurd caught a ton of crap earlier in the year. And look, parts in the year, he just wasn't good. He was walking a ton of people. And you could just see from his facial expressions, he was just frustrated and he was just struggling, right? And he was just trying to work through it. But remember, he was hurt last year at UCLA. He only had nine outings on the year. He moved across the country, a new team, new coaches. You have to prove yourself to the fan base, your teammates, and your coaches. Okay, And he's playing in the best conference in the country, the SEC. And right now, he looks like he's finally comfortable in the uniform or in the purple and gold. He's got a ton of confidence in himself moving forward, and I can't wait to see him pitch this weekend. And then finally, the third big thing that I learned from the Baton Rouge Regional. You got to have some confidence in the pin moving forward. If y'all remember, I told you you need four to five guys to get you through the regional, to get you through the super regional, hopefully to Omaha. And in Omaha, you could potentially, depending with the rest you get, and if you could stay in the winner's bracket, you may only need four to five bullpen arms, period. Okay. And you saw that this weekend. Cooper, Ackenhausen, Herring, Gidry, and throw Coleman into that mix. Those are the guys I think you can trust. Those are the guys you've seen Jay and Wes Johnson run out there when they needed. You just haven't seen a lot of uh, money, Dutton, Little, and Collins are kind of MIA right now. Not to say that those guys can't go out there and get you an inning or get you a key out, but I just don't think they're going to be first up in the bullpen in the Super Regional, and hopefully LSU has the ability to advance to the College World Series. And you think about it, with Super Regionals coming, you got Skeens, he's going to go Friday night or whenever they start the Super Regional against Kentucky. Then you got uh, Floyd is going to line up in that number two spot. And so if they need to have Hurd close game one or Hurd close game two, then they can do that and they can shuffle some things around with the flexibility that he brings you. All right, starting to wrap up here on the 60 feet, six inches LSU pod. Really quick, if you didn't have a chance to catch some of the scores or you're wondering how some of the other um, excuse me, SEC teams did in their regionals, Your boys got you covered. Let me give you a little SEC regional breakdown. So Alabama won the regional they hosted, and they will travel to face the number one team in the country, Wake Forest. Florida won their regionals. They came back from the loser's bracket, and they will host South Carolina, who won their own regional this weekend. And uh, Florida will host South Carolina in Gainesville. Tennessee was the two seed in the Clemson regional, and they will face Southern Miss. This weekend in a Super Regional, not sure who's going to host that as of yet. Kentucky came out of the loser's bracket. They beat Indiana twice, and they will be traveling to Baton Rouge to face LSU at the box. At the time of this recording, actually, Texas A&M just wrapped up, and they lost their regional as they traveled out to Palo Alto, and they lost to Stanford. Stanford comes back to the loser's bracket and beats the Aggies twice. You're not going to see me moan and cry about that as, the A&M, as A&M finishes their season. And then finally, 
Arkansas didn't make it out of their own regional that they hosted. Auburn, they were two and cute in their own regional. As they saw, they lost to Penn and uh, Sanford, I believe. doesn't matter because I can't stand Auburn. So they're at home. And then finally, Vanderbilt. Yes, the Vandy boys and the Whistler, they are done for the year as well. So A&M, done. Arkansas, done. Auburn, done. Vanderbilt, done. LSU versus Kentucky, and then Florida versus South Carolina in terms of SEC versus SEC. Bama's got to go to Wake. And then finally, Tennessee is going to play Southern Miss. I don't know if it's going to be in Hattiesburg excuse me, or Nashville. So that will do it for this week's edition of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. As always, thank you all for joining me. Up next, the Super Regional Preview. But if you want to get a head start on that, you can go back and listen to my previous Kentucky preview when they visited Baton Rouge earlier in the year for an SEC showdown. That should be out sometime Wednesday or Thursday. They're, also, they're actually going to announce the, um, the regional um, time. So when each super regional will start tomorrow, which would be uh, Wednesday, excuse me, Tuesday morning at this point. So just make sure you tune into the Twitter account, set your notifications. As always, like, subscribe, comment to the YouTube channel. That is 60 feet, six inches on YouTube. And this podcast will be available on all major audio platforms, right? Google, Spotify, and the like. And once again, the Twitter handle is 60FT6INLSUPOD. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.